topic at hand. Chapter 6 of John, we're getting through chapter 6 today, and I want to just say a little bit before we get going. Chapter 6 of John is like, you know, it's, it's pretty intense, and it's the, I would say, one of the plummeting peaks of John, um, at least in the, what's been going on to this point. And so, you know, for me to sit here and do a Bible study now, it's kind of impossible, and I'm a little bit overwhelmed, so we'll do the best we can. And, um, and uh, see what happens. So, chapter 6, verse 1. Just kidding. We're not going to start in chapter 6, verse 1. You never start being a chapter, right? You go back. So, Carrie's going to read us chapter 5, verse 45. <laughs> chapter? Chapter 5, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Okay, so what's what's our Lord talking about there? What's his reference? What's his reference to the Old Testament? Deuteronomy. To Deuteronomy and to the prophet that Moses promised God would send. Right? A prophet like him. We finished off last time saying, if there's going to be a prophet like Moses then he's going to have to be like Moses. And what does that mean? Who was Moses? What were his characteristics? So that when we're looking for that prophet, we can say, yep, that's the man. Are you with me? Okay, and, and if, you, if you need to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, we don't have to look at it right now. Okay? So what's, what kind of characteristics is he going to have? Come on, guys. Wake up. Uh, thanks. Alright. Did you say a beard? Alright, come on, no, seriously. Nice to have a boy. What's he gonna do? He's gonna be like Moses. What did Moses do? Alright, good. Keep going. Um he fed them with what? Manna. Okay. And what did the manna do? Yeah, it was the it was the food which sustained them on their journey through the desert. It was the food sent from heaven which would sustain them along their journey. Okay, what else? All right, and again, he gives them the law of God. Okay, so the new prophet is going to have to give them a new law. Okay, what else? He parted the Red Sea. He crossed through the Red Sea, and St. Paul interprets that for us as what? A type of baptism. baptism, right? Leaving behind the old life and coming to newness of life where we behold God on Mount Sinai. Moses beheld God and was changed face to face. Or was beheld God face to face and was changed into his image and likeness. Harris, why are you laughing at Alright, so all these characteristics going into who Moses was and who this new Moses is going to be. Okay? Alright. So we keep reading then. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which which is the Sea of Tiberias, verse 2. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Okay. Interpret that for me. They're just following because of the humans. Yeah, do you know this is repetitive now? I mean, we've just got our themes as just repetitive. These people keep failing in, in in seeing Christ for who he is, and they're relying upon that natural level that I laid this thing 
out for you saying I have to do it in class here, but they're on a national level. They're seeing with their physical eyes. They're amazed with what they're seeing, but they're not entrusting themselves to Christ. Okay? Um, they're on the level of the flesh, right? They're seeing there instead of believing. Okay? And they're on the level of the law instead of the level of grace. Okay? And this whole time I've been, hopefully, I've said it enough times, but that Jesus has come to bridge the gap between nature and supernature, to join them back together again. Remember, man was made in the beginning in the image and likeness of God. He was given his natural abilities, okay, but he was also given the supernatural grace of God to make him a child of God. So Christ is going to come to restore man to what he lost at the fall. So he's going to take man, now living just on the natural level, the level of the flesh, and he's going to make him what he was supposed to be. Okay? So, again, they're on the level of signs. Verse 3. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Okay, so we're in the context of Passover. And what happens at Passover? Okay, there's a, there's a whole... The sacrifice of the lamb. The sacrifice of the lamb. Okay, there's all the background. And, and ultimately, what's Passover all about? Leaving the, the, a life of sin and slavery and coming to life in God. Okay? So Passover from death to life. Okay? That's why Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the one that takes us from death to life. Okay? He enters into death and walks us out of the tomb. He passes over. Okay? All right. Verse 5. Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a multitude was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, How are we to buy bread uh, so that these people may eat? This he said to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here with, uh, who has five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. Go ahead, Mary. Verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Okay, why did they say that? Because they see the miracle. They, they see what? They see the miracle, the feeding. Okay, keep going. They see the feeding, what? Make the connection. It's like Moses. It's like the boat manna. Yeah, exactly, because Moses provided the manna, okay, which before was not. It's miraculous bread raining down from heaven. And now Christ also feeds the people. 
Okay, this is the, our first reference. It's kind of a subliminal or behind the scenes. It's going to come out more. This this focus in chapter six on manna and what manna is all about. Remember, when we're reading the scriptures. You always, when you get to that point where there's a reference to the Old Testament, meditate even for a second. If you don't have time to turn there, at least ask yourself the question, what is this all about? What was it about? What was the man all about? Because otherwise we just keep reading the text and the, and the whole reference is lost. Okay? So again, Moses, or Moses provides the bread for the people and now Jesus comes and he feeds the people and they see it as a sign of the prophet who was to come, the one like Moses. Okay? And so what do they want to do to him? Verse 15. Go ahead, Gary. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay. We're going to keep reading. I'm not going to make a lot of commentary on this because we got to just... We're just yeah, we got to get through it, so keep going. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Okay, so in the reference of John, background of John, what we've been reading, help me. The darkness. Good. What about the darkness? It did not comprehend. It did not comprehend the light. So there's a, in, in the prologue, these images constantly coming up in John. So we already have an indication that there's going to be a problem, okay? And that we need Christ to come to solve the problem, okay? Keep going, Sharon. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached, reached the land toward which they were going. Okay, so again, in the background of, of Christ being the prophet, interpret it for me. Water. Okay. What does it have to do with the prophet? Who's the prophet again? Moses. Good. So now we see Christ walking on water. Okay, so Moses has control over the sea. Now Christ, being the new prophet, crosses the sea. Okay? And he takes the people that are endangered in the sea. Now, what is the sea? Okay, for the Jews, the water is the place of what? Turbulence, even worse than turbulence, what? Gentiles. Uh, even worse than that. What happens in the waters? Yeah, death, right? The people die in the waters of the flood. What's about to happen for, to Moses as he's crossing through the Red Sea? Or what's about to happen to, the, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians? They're about to get buried in the waters, okay? So the water is the symbol of death. Okay? And Christ comes being a new prophet, having fed his people, is taking them on the journey across the waters. Okay? And they arrive safely on the other side at his power. All of a sudden they're there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sheila, you want to keep reading for us? What verse do we have? 22. On the next day, the people who remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. However, boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the people saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat 
What kind of men are these that are seeking him? These were the, well, they were the crowd people who had followed. Yeah. Well, what's our reference back within the chapter to tell us what kind of men these are? They eat the bread. They eat the bread, yes. They saw the sign. They saw the sign. Is that good? On the worldly level. On the worldly level. It's, it's, it's nothing wrong with seeing the sign, but there may be something lacking, right? We already saw that reference, the description of them, of them right at the beginning of the chapter in verse 2. And the multitude followed him because they saw the sign, which he did, on those who were diseased. So we know what kind of men these are, okay? When they eat the, the bread of, uh, um, of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, what do you think they're, what's going on in that? Well, they did say that this truly is the problem. Yeah, so there's, there's something good, okay? But if there's something bad, what is it going to be? It's pretty cool that we're being fed. Yeah, right? It's, it's on a level of the tummy. They're, they're being filled physically, okay? And they're pretty happy about that. Okay, and they're following him based on that level. Okay, but you're right. They also see something of what he's done as the prophet. Okay, but again, they're, they're on the level of the science. Okay, they're on the natural level. So let's just keep reading and follow that through. Um, verse, uh, well, go to verse 24 if you let keep reading. Mm-hmm. So when the people saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Okay. Where have we last seen the people and what's their what's their response now? What's the last thing we know that what they wanted to do with Jesus? Yeah, they wanted to go off and make him king. So they're pretty fired up about this guy. Okay, to go off to make him king is not like, I mean, we're thinking Bible talk, right? Okay, this is treason. They want to go make, declare him king and go in revolt against the Romans. Okay, so yeah, Norma's laughing, but it's not such a laughing matter because they could die for this, right? So there's, there's, uh, you know, the, their intensity, what they want to do is, is there, but then suddenly they find him on the other side of the sea, and the next day, and what happens? Rabbi, when did you come here? Is that how you reacted? If you knew this was the prophet and you were ready to anoint him king of Israel to go into revolt against the Romans and you were really on board with it, is that what the first thing you would have asked him? Wait, why are you interpreting it that way? I don't understand why it can't be more or less how did you get here? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I don't see why Read us the next sentence. Still, Well, you know, I keep reading as I said, Jesus is going to turn for points. No, I think it's read what they say. No, no. 26 is where you want to read. Jesus answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you seek me not because you see miracles, but because you eat of the loaves and the Ooh. Ah. Okay. So this, all, he nails the problem. Okay. Look. You want more. Yeah. Here's what St. John Christendom says. I fed your bodies, he says, so that after this you might seek that other food that endures, which nourishes the soul, but you run right back to that food that is temporal. Therefore, you do not understand that I lead you not to this imperfect food, but to that which nourishes not the body, but the soul. 
Okay? So we're just following this theme in John at this natural and supernatural level and where the men are at. Okay? Whether they're in darkness or whether they're in the light. Okay? Whether they can accept the word of God or whether they are simply on the level of miracles and signs. Okay? Are you with me? Go ahead. I think it's neither here nor there, so Go ahead. No, I really need no, I think we should use it more importantly. I don't think that's important. Okay, fine. Verse 27. Go ahead, Sheila. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him has God the Father set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Okay, we're going to go back and read. We have to do this a couple times. We're going to read this section. We're going to go back and read it slowly and talk about it. Okay? <coughs> Father Brown says, The crowd follows him to Capernaum and asks him, How did you come here? By Ioana and play on words, Ioana and John, by John's play on words, Jesus will tell them he came here from heaven. As always, their aspirations are on the material level. They see the miraculous element of the sign, but not its meaning. Jesus tries to raise them above their materialistic outlook, but is met with a persistent inability to understand. The Jews themselves introduce the Passover theme of the manna of the Exodus. Okay. Let's go back then and just read you this very slowly and look at what's going on here. Verse 27. I'm going to go back in verse uh, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, because, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Okay. So there's, it's an interesting thing. I was, when I was teaching this section to the missionaries of charity, um, the headmistress brought this out. She said, but they did see the sign, right? But what? it's almost as though some of them saw it, but, but the majority of them seem to have even missed the miraculous thing that has taken place. Okay? And as we, as we go, you'll see why, why I say that. But you see what Christ is, is doing? He's exposing them for being even worse. They're not even seen on the level of the miracle now. Okay? He says, you seek me not because you saw signs, not because you witnessed the miracle, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So is he saying that's, that's the reason why they want to make Well, possibly. Okay, it seemed to indicate in the last chapter that they saw the sign which he did, and then they want to go and make it to anoint him king. 
Okay? But Christ is exposing even a deeper problem. To believe on the level of signs, it's not the best in John, but at least it's a step in the right direction. He can at least work with those that are seeing the miracles which he's performed. Okay? But they're not even on that level. Okay, so if, if the multiplication of loaves and fishes happen, right, and they don't see a miracle in it, then what's just taking place? What did they see? Or what did they experience? Yeah, they were just eating. They're just eating. And they're getting full. And how nice that is. And how nice that is. I, I, um, well, let me read you a, a quote. What from, these people, yeah. these people poor? Well, they were hungry. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know the answer to that. They didn't look that easily, usually. <laughs> right, that's true. St. John Chrysostom. There is nothing worse, nothing more shameful than gluttony, which clouds the judgment and reduces the soul to satisfying appetites. For instance, nothing can be more unreasonable than their asking for another miracle, as if none had already had. Sorry, if not, as if none had been given already. Notice what he's talking about there in verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do, be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom you have sent. And they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? You see, you see what they're asking for? Our, our Lord has just performed a miracle of the multiplication of loaves and fishes. And that wasn't good enough. They didn't even see the miracle. They were blind to the miracle. And what St. John Christum is saying is it's clouded their judgment. And they do not even leave the choice of the miracle to our Lord, but would oblige him to give them just that sign that was given to their ancestors. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. There were many miracles performed in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the desert, and yet they remembered this one the best of any. Such is the force of the appetite. Okay? So they've been fed on the level of the natural man, okay? and they're not even able to open their eyes to see a miracle before them. Go ahead. Um, I'm getting a little bit confused about who they is, because there's a they, there's a group that does recognize a sign, Okay. but then, I mean, nothing ever changes. It's still, it's still the same crowd. So what happens? What, they recognize the sign the first time? And then time passes, and they stop remembering so much the miraculousness of it. Yeah. The gluttony, you know, or the food chatter there. Their judgment of that. Well, that's fair enough, but that's not what happens first. What I'm trying to make sense of, like, no, you're right. Where is the transition or something? Point out the first, the first, the first in the multiplication of loaves and fishes. The first one. The, not the first verse, but I mean, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. the first one that I'm referring to. Yeah. Is it's a good point, that's why I want to Day, they're hungry again, and they're they're back to the 
Yeah. It starts out in verse 2 that they're following him because they saw the signs. Right. And then in 14, you know, they're just talking big right. because they see the signs. It's right. like they're regressing from 2 to 14 to 26. Yeah, exactly. Wait, wait, I don't understand why it's regression from 2 to 14, especially if the big thing is the sign of Moses. That's that's why I'm confused, because it's okay. a sign the day of to doing say, but they don't do anything in 14. In, they want in to two, they they're following. They want to, but they don't do anything. Because he leaves. Because let, he right, let, me, let me interrupt with St. John Chrysostom, and then hope, maybe I'll go back. Okay. <laughs> After such a great miracle, the crowd does not ask Jesus how he had crossed over or how he had arrived there. In fact, they do not seem to be concerned about it at all. They ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? But what they are really asking is, how did you get here? And see how shallow they are. After noting that he was that prophet and trying to take to take him by force and to make him king, they do nothing of the sort when they finally do find him. Okay, so at least St. John Christmas is reading it. Yeah, he's saying, he's saying, look, there seems to be a, a, at least a shallowness of faith, which, which would make sense. That they're level, on a level of the miracles, on the wonders. Okay, and they're odd for the moment. But within 24 hours, it's gone. Okay, and that's why in John, believing in the word of Christ is so important. That he wants you to entrust yourself to Christ. Entrust yourself to his word. Because what he's about to reveal is something that we have never seen. And we have never known. Only he has seen the Father. Only he knows the Father. And if we are going to reach into paradise or reach into heaven, if we are going to see the Father, if we are going to enter the kingdom of God, we must entrust ourselves to the word of Jesus Christ. And what he tells us, we will do. You know, notice the difference between uh, Nicodemus and the Samaritans. okay? Or between the Samaritans and these men. Remember, the Samaritans... They didn't see a sign, right? Our Lord simply spoke to them. He spoke to the Samaritan woman, and she came to faith in his word. They believed what he had said and said, this is truly the one sent from God, okay? So there's this a clear division between those who entrust themselves to the word of Jesus Christ and those who are on the level of the miracles, okay? Anyways, did I just blow your guys' debate? Because you guys can debate that if you want. Go ahead. No. Okay. Alright, let's go back. Verse 34 is where we're at. Okay, we're going to go back again. Verse 27. Well, as I'm reading this, think about chapter 4 of John. What happened in chapter 4 of John? The Samaritan woman. And remember the conversation between the Samaritan woman. Okay? Our Lord says, I am the source of living water, right? And what does she say? Give me this water always, Lord. Why? What does she want? Did I mean never become? Yeah, I don't become this stupid well anymore and drink from it. Not stupid, stupid well, but I mean, I don't have to work to do this anymore. Okay? And notice the parallel in the conversation. Okay? Verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him has God the Father set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Lord, how can I get 
this water. Okay? Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom, you have, whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign, what miracle do you do that we may see and believe? Okay? So they forget the manna altogether. Okay? Or they forget the, the multiplication of loaves, loaves and fishes altogether, and they immediately, what do they want? They want the loaves and fishes all over again. They want Moses to give them more food. Okay? What work do you perform? Our fathers made man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And who is that? Jesus. Yeah. Look, just quickly turn back to chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter what? Chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Okay? This, there's a theme that's developing in John chapter 6, which is going to carry on through the rest of the gospel. We're kind of getting it almost for the first time. It's been there, but it's going to come more and more to the forefront for us. And that is who Jesus is, and what is his source? What is his origin? Where does he come from? And there's going to be, again, this division between those who see where he comes from and those who fail to see where he comes from. Those who think, like Nicodemus, we know who you are, right? They think they know, but they don't really know, okay? And so there's this struggle, and it's happening right here in John. If you look at John chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 25, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Hey, when did you come here? How did you... How did you get here? Where did you come from? Okay, there's this struggle to understand. And in verse 33, the answer to that comes. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay? And so Jesus is going to show himself to be the one that comes from heaven. Okay? Where did you come from? And he's about to show them, okay, if they could see. And they said to him, verse 34, Lord, give us this bread always. What, is that, what does that sound like to you? Samaritan, Samaritan woman, right? Exact, almost identical phrase, right? Lord, give me this water always. I don't have to come here and thirst. Okay? Jesus said to them, Okay, go ahead, Perry. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, hold on, because I had to say one more thing about the man. I'm sorry. I have a great quote. This is uh, Cardinal Jean Danielou. If you ever get a chance to get this book, I want to get a stack of them for you guys. The Bible and the Liturgy. Fantastic. Fantastic book. He says, speaking of the manna, the manna of the Old Testament was already something other than an ordinary profane food and constituted a true sacrament. This is brought out strongly by St. Augustine. Quote, The manna signifies the Eucharistic bread. The altar of God signifies the Eucharistic bread. But these already were sacraments. The appearances are different, but the reality is the same. The bodily nourishment is different, but they, since they ate the manna and we something else, but the spiritual nourishment was the same for them as for us. Okay, our Lord here picks up on the, on the natural desire, the you know, fleshly desires of the people. 
to be fed. Okay? They bring out that point of the manna, but he doesn't give it up. Okay, and so this whole we are in the we are in the context of in John of what of what uh, feast Passover. Passover. Okay, leaving the land of Egypt and going toward the land of promise. Okay, the manna was the food which sustained them on their journey towards paradise. They ate it and they were strengthened by it. Okay? And that's the whole background that the Jews bring out, and it's the whole background that our Lord now uses as he prepares to teach on the Eucharist in John chapter 6. Okay, So it's extremely important as we're reading this to meditate, meditate upon what that manna did for the people. First of all, it, took, it allowed them to make the journey, but also it pointed towards something in the future. Okay, um, I think he says it right here. Yeah, Daniel says, he says Judaism had already given to the manna an eschatological significance, a, a significance of the future when God would would save the save the people, as God had nourished His people with a miraculous food in the time of the Exodus of old. So would He do again in the time of the new eschatological Exodus. This eschatological significance of the manna appears in the New Testament. To him who conquers, I will give a hit, I will give a hidden manna. Okay. What is eschatological? It's speaking about the future. Okay, for us, for Christians, it's always to be on the second coming. Okay, the end times. Okay. What's my point about that? That the manna is paralleled to the Eucharist. Okay, to our Lord's body and blood. And in that, it becomes for us, it, oftentimes as Catholics, we look at the Eucharist and we see something, something's right about us. So let me finish what I'm saying before you guys condemn me as a heretic. <laughs> we see it as the end all. And in a sense, it is. For our whole point of life is to have communion with God. But in its parallel with the manna, there's something which the manna pointed towards. Okay, it helped us on our journey towards. Okay, and that is the same with the Eucharist. Cardinal Ratzinger, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, said this in Spirit of the Liturgy. He says, he says that the manna was a shadow, okay, or a preparation. And similarly, the Eucharist is a preparation for the heavenly banquet. Okay, it's only a shadow. But it's a full shadow in the sense that we commune with God. But in the kingdom to come, we will commune with him and the veil will be lifted. Right? No longer will we receive what God has prepared for us under the form of bread and wine, but we will receive him as he is. Okay? Now what did the man point towards? What did it prepare for us? Yeah, the promised land. Turn real quick. We don't have time to do this, but we got it. So turn real quick to Joshua. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Joshua, chapter 5. Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Chapter 5, verse... Verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover feast on the 14th day of the month, at evening in the plains of Jericho. Now in the plains of Jericho, we've read this before together, they're about to enter into the promised land. Okay, in fact, they, they have entered the promised land, right? They've crossed the Jordan River, and now they're, they've just entered into the promised land. Look what happens, verse 11. And on the morrow, after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased on the morrow when they ate the produce of the land. And the people of Israel had manna no more, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So you notice that the manna is their preparation for what they will receive in the promised land. And similarly, the Eucharist, our Lord's body and blood, is a preparation for what we will receive in the kingdom to come. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Did I overdo it? No, no, no. Good stuff. All right. Verse 35. Sheila, go ahead. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is, this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Okay, you, still, you notice what's happening. Our Lord says, I came down from heaven. And what do they say? No. No. We know, Lord, who you are. <laughs> we know that you are the son of, of Joseph and Mary. Right? And in fact, they have no clue who he is. Okay? And it's going to get worse if we keep reading. They're going to make all sorts of mistakes on a natural level of who Jesus is. Okay? What else? Verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. What's that remind you of? What's that? Yeah. And whoever said the murmuring the worst. Go back to Numbers chapter 21. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. against Moses and against Aaron, 
saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting. Okay, and so on. Okay, so throughout the story, they're constantly murmuring against Moses, right? Against the prophet. Okay, look again at chapter 11. Chapter, Numbers chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 4. Now the, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Okay. Numbers chapter 11. Okay? And the same thing happens. You can turn real quick to Numbers chapter 21. Verse 4. Chapter 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by the way of by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people uh, became impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Okay, what's the worthless food? Is the manna. Okay? So there's this constant thing going on back there in the story of the Exodus of the people murmuring against the prophet, against, the, against Moses, who is providing his food for them to eat for their journey from, from slavery and sin to the promised land. Okay? And yet they complain and they're and they're unhappy with what they're being given. They wanted cucumbers to come out. They wanted cucumbers. Alright. So verse 42. Go ahead, Sheila. I'm oh, sorry, chapter, John chapter 6. I'm sorry, I was back in John chapter 6. I lost my water. Did anyone find it? No what? My water? No. I set it down somewhere. Oh, well. Yeah, verse 40. Chapter 6, I was going to go. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, now, as Catholics, I know you just want me to go crazy and do a bunch of crazy things. I'm not going to say a whole lot about this text, actually. Okay? And the reason is this. That John has been very clear to set a pattern for us up to this point. Okay? And it is those that, that are relying upon their eyes to see Jesus and have failed to see him for who he is. They have seen standing before them a man 
The Samaritan woman saw a man that was thirsty and sweaty and tired. Nicodemus thought he knew what he saw, and he didn't see him. Okay? Again and again in the gospel, John has been just incessantly pounding it to us that you must believe Christ's word, accept his word, and give yourself to him. Because he is the only one who has seen the Father. He is the one who will reveal to us the truth. And if we rely upon our sight, we rely upon our knowledge, right, Nicodemus? It will not work. Nicodemus, you must be born again of water in the Spirit. Okay? The Samaritan woman has to come to the light. And it is only after giving herself to our Lord, okay, by staying there before Him, that all of a sudden she begins to realize who He really is. Okay? To see behind the sweaty man that's tired next to the well, the Son of God. Okay? And it's the same here. There's no miracle I can create to, you know, John chapter 6, okay? John has been very clear to us that we must accept the word of Jesus Christ. And when we accept the word of Jesus Christ, suddenly we will be united to him. We will participate in his own life. And he will become our eyes. And we will be able to see what he sees. But not before. He's not going to open our eyes and say, see? And then, and then we believe. Okay? Then we entrust ourselves to him. Okay? Because that's not a whole, there's not a whole lot of faith going on there. Okay? Our Lord wants us to entrust ourselves to him and to follow him and to accept his word. Okay? So I just say that to allow our Lord, let's let our Lord speak for himself. Okay? And see what he says. And you guys know what he says. And we'll read a couple quotes from the church fathers. Okay? Go ahead, um, Sheila. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue, as he taught it in Capernaum. Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Okay, now, we're going to go back and read that again. Okay? And the reason we're going to read it again is because I just want you to get a sense that our Lord isn't, you know, we oftentimes say, Oh, our Lord's kind of, he's just a nice guy. Right? Such a sweet guy. And he'll, you know, he'll, well, he'll have, you know, mercy in the sense that, All right, well, you don't really have to accept me completely or... You know, oftentimes from a modern perspective, Jesus is just kind of the nice hippie, right? Walking around doing nice things, okay? But our Lord does not stop, okay? Our Lord doesn't stop and say, oh, no, no, you misunderstand me, okay? He simply repeats what he's saying, but he doesn't just simply repeat it. He keeps going after them, just like with Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, you must be born again. What? How am I going to be born again from my mother's womb? 
Nicodemus, you got to be born again of water and the Spirit. What? I don't understand. Okay, and our Lord doesn't ever let up. He just keeps hammering and pounding him. He says, how can you not understand, Nicodemus? You are a teacher of Israel. Okay? And so, similarly, our Lord just doesn't stop. He won't let up. Okay? So go back to verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give you for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to okay, So they understand what he's saying. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh, I'm sorry, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh, I will raise up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this flesh, this bread, will live forever. Okay? So he just keeps pounding after them. And notice in verse 52, they still struggle. What do you mean you're going to give us your flesh? Okay? They're on the totally natural level here, guys. I mean, they're talking about gnawing on Jesus' arm. <laughs> okay? And they're, they're innocent, frustrated with them, probably in some sense for a good reason. They're struggling. But notice, they cannot accept his word. They are not on the level of the Spirit. They're not able to see through his eyes. Okay? And entrust themselves to him. They are judging him based upon their human reason alone. And that's exactly what Nicodemus was doing when he came to him. Judging on his human reason alone. And when we put God to the judgment of our human reason, our human reason ultimately fails. Okay? Somebody I have don't want to judge. Yeah, you know, because if you tell somebody, hey, bite me, you know, very much. <laughs> You know, people are going to be getting shocked. I'm Absolutely. Talking about, I'm hungry, but I'm not that hungry. <laughs> You're right. He's not, it's not like he is handing them the bread saying, this is my flesh, like he does later. So I can understand if this is hard yes. for them. I mean, it's, yes. it's very confusing. Yeah. Given the, the time they were. They were. <laughs> What was that again? Wouldn't we react the same way if we were there? Yes. Possibly. Well, <coughs> have you ever been there? What happens later? Hold on. Have you ever been there? <laughs> no, I've never been there. No, hold on. Jennifer, have you ever been there? See, have you ever been standing here reading this text and gone, what the hell is going on here? I think also as the early Jews, they had beliefs about, you know, peace and how it relates to. They have their whole law. Right. So there's a whole there's this whole background that's binding them in some sense, right? So you have mercy on them on that regard. But let's not say that we've never been there. We've been there. Okay? In fact, all Christians have been there and struggled with this text. Okay? Some Christians 
have accepted our Lord's words, and they walk in that church every day or every Sunday, and they receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And some do not. Okay? There is something which takes place in a man when he is born again of water and the Spirit, when he entrusts himself fully to Jesus Christ, when he gives himself to the Word of God, that he can see something which he never could see before. And it's not a sight that we... It's not this kind of sight. And in some sense, there's no way to really explain it on a human level. There's no way I could stand up before you right now and really tell you the fullness of the mystery which I receive every Sunday, for it's a mystery. Okay? But the faith has been granted to see. It's the eyes, the sight of faith, which suddenly, for certain people, becomes, in a sense, almost obvious. Certain people don't struggle with this text. Okay? And certain people do. And those certain people that don't struggle with the text are those that stand, as we're going to get pretty in a second here, to St. Peter, who says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? You're, you're, the, you're the whole show, and I'm not going anywhere else. I may not understand. I, you know what? I've never seen the Trinity enthroned in heaven. But I'm here to tell you that the Trinity is there more, more real than the trees standing out there in the ground. Okay? But, but they yeah. saw the sign. They saw the signs and believe. Yes. Before believing the words. They saw and believe. Okay. And that is the foundation for later belief. You're right. You're right. So there's so there, that's why that's why the Lord's pulling he's a, and the rest of the gospels and be like this. He's taking these people and saying, Come with me. Let me lead you. Let me show you the Father. Okay? But notice on a journey when you're gonna go and go somewhere, if I'm gonna take you, some of us have been talking about going to Santiago. And so many some of you guys have seen Santiago. It's there, and I can tell you how to get there. But you gotta trust me because I've seen it. And it's only until you trust me and you actually take those steps that suddenly the revelation is going to be given to you. Not to compare myself to Jesus. Okay? But similarly, our Lord wants to take us on this journey and he's calling us and he's saying, trust me. Trust me and you will see. But you've got to trust me first because standing where you're standing isn't going to get you to heaven. You're not going to be able to climb up the ladder and get to heaven on your own, my friend. It's only through me. I'm the only one that can get you there. I'm the only one that can reveal this to you. Okay? And it's been consistent in the gospel of that trust in the word of Jesus versus trusting in your own judgment and your own knowledge, your own sight. Okay? Let's, we got to continue. I can't stop here. So five minutes. Well, let's keep going. Many of his disciples, verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Not, not Jesus, what are you talking about? And they're to the point, I can't even stand here and listen to you anymore. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? I was thinking about this text earlier today. 
And I think it's it's key because it's it's our Lord notching it up one, but doing the same thing he's been doing. He's been repeating himself. And now he just notches it up one and repeats himself. He doesn't let him go. He says, look, if you're struggling with what I'm saying now, and what are they struggling with? Eating his flesh. If you're struggling with what I'm saying now, what happens when the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? It's the incarnate Word of God. The incarnate, the flesh, the fleshly Son of God. Okay? What happens when you see me standing at the throne of God? When I ascend to the Father and am enthroned as a human being in my flesh in heaven, then what are you going to say? If you're offended at what I'm saying now, I'm about to take this body I have and take it to the right hand of the Father. Okay, so he doesn't let him up. He just nails him again. Verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, we get to the, the game, if you will, if you want to talk about the debate on this text. It's verse 63. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Is he talking about his flesh? No, he's talking about the different levels. Basically, what's up on the board. Good. Okay. What what text in the, that we've already read? I've been reading it constantly now. Is going to be helpful in this. What story? Where he talks about flesh and spirit. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Exactly. Yes, Jeff. Is the word flesh here in verse sixty-three the same as the word flesh up in? 55. Uh, I think you're referring to um, in verse 56. Is the, in the Greek the the word is troge and it has this characteristic of, of, of gnawing or eating, chomping down. Okay, so it's not so you, uh, it's not the word of flesh, but it's the word of eating. Okay, to almost like to masticate, to chew on. Right. Okay, and some have pointed that, saying, "Look, our Lord's being ex- like excessively literal. You gotta eat. You gotta chomp down. You gotta." Okay, and some have pointed that in the text. It's it's very uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Rough. El natural. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, you're saying does it continue? No, does it continue? it's the flesh. I mean, like we're talking about. Are we talking about the? the And the word flesh there is the same. Okay. It is the spirit that gives life, the flesh is to no avail. Okay. Nicodemus. You must be born again of water and the spirit. Okay. With that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus is saying to the Lord, saying to our Lord, we know who you are. And our Lord says back to him, in other words, what? No, you don't. Okay. And then he says, Nicodemus, if you want to know who I am, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to see the kingdom of God, which is what Nicodemus is trying to get at, you must be born again because your natural birth, your fleshly birth, 
isn't going to bring you to what you need to see in me. Your, your birth of your body, the birth from your mother, gives you these natural eyes. And Nicodemus, I'm a lot more than what you're seeing before your natural eyes. You must be born again of the Spirit in order to understand what I'm talking about. Okay? Similarly, is our Lord's flesh of no avail in the context of what he's just been talking about? No. Okay? He's not talking about his flesh. Whose flesh is he talking about? Our flesh. He's talking about the flesh of the people that are standing there struggling to understand what he's saying. Okay, our Lord is repeating himself 600 times. My flesh gives life. And they say, what? And he says, your flesh isn't going to do it for you. You must be born again of water and the spirit, Nicodemus. You must have spiritual eyes. Okay? St. Augustine, what then does it mean, the flesh profits nothing? It profits nothing, but only as they understood it. For of course they understood flesh is something that is torn to pieces in a carcass or sold in a meat market, not as something that is enlivened by a spirit. And so it was said, the flesh profits nothing. But he is talking there about the flesh that is alone by itself. Let spirit be added to the flesh, and it profits very much. For if flesh profited nothing, the word would not have become flesh to dwell among us. Our Lord became flesh in order to give our flesh what he had in heaven. Okay? To give the things of God to man. I read you this quote before from the Ignatius Commentary. A significant contrast in John. Flesh represents all that is natural, earthly and human. While spirit signifies all that is supernatural, heavenly and divine. <coughs> Since once separated these realms has been bridged by Jesus Christ, whose flesh is an instrument that conveys the life and spirit of God to the world. God became man, as St. Athanasius says, that we might become God. It's in Jesus Christ that God is communicated to man. And therefore, we got to get into Jesus Christ. We got to get what Jesus has, if you will. Okay? Our Lord wants us to communicate with Him. <laughs> to receive Him into our bodies. So that not that our body might die as their bodies died in the wilderness, but that our bodies might receive the resurrection as His body does. Okay? Um, any thoughts on that? Let me show you my spot here. <laughs> No. Okay. We have to deal with one last thing. Oh, I'm way over time, guys. If you need to go, you can go. But we got Don't go. First of all, okay. Well, we got to deal with one classic Protestant objection. And not because I hate to go after the. It's, when when, when non-Catholics or Protestants are dealing with this text. They're half right. They're the three quarters right. They're 90% right. Just like they're 90% right about, the, about baptism and the need for baptism. Okay? Some, some Protestants, unfortunately, go as far as say, look, baptism's not necessary. Okay? All we need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. 
Well, they're right to a certain extent. We must believe in Jesus Christ. But our Lord says, you must be born again of water and the Spirit. And it's only until I believe in Jesus Christ, and then I trust in His Word, and then I go and get baptized. Okay? Where was I going with that? Similarly, some will interpret this text and say, yes, but eating the flesh of the Son of God simply means believing in Him, trusting in Him, and then we have communion with Him. And yes, they're right. That belief in Jesus Christ is the first step to be joined to Him, be covenanted to Him. But once that belief takes place and we entrust ourselves to Him and we follow Him, we follow Him to the night of the Last Supper when He gives us His flesh and His blood for the life of the world. And when He does that, He says, Eat this! Okay? It's not simply about having faith. It's a lot about having faith. But once we have faith in Him, then we trust Him all the way to the end. We go and we jump in pools of water to the natural man. We're a bunch of, I mean, Jesus, that's how weird that looks in the outside world. That they're looking and seeing people go down in water and thinking something spiritual takes place. That doesn't look normal. But for us, it looks real normal. That's what you do. Because Jesus Christ gives us the spiritual eyes. And similarly with this text. Okay? Um... What does it mean then, symbolically, to eat the flesh of the Son of God? If it is simply symbolic, and here's a fundamental mistake that takes place in interpreting this as a symbolic text, simply. And that is, oftentimes in modern English language, we talk about symbolism or symbolic text. And what does it mean to us? Not quite true. Not quite complete. Not quite real. Okay? That's not at all what a symbol really is. A symbol points to a reality. It represents a reality. So if we're going to say that it's symbolic, it must symbolize something for for the people listening to it. It must symbolize something for us. Okay? If we're going to interpret that simply on a symbolic level. You guys with me? Turn to Deuteronomy. We're going to look at two Old Testament texts real quick. Okay? What does it mean to eat somebody's flesh in the Old Testament? If it's going to be symbolic. What chapter? Chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse... Verse... You guys there? Chapter 32, verse 42. Don't start reading yet. Go ahead, Sheila. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my swords shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. So what does it mean? What does it mean to eat another's flesh? To conquer. Not only conquer. Yeah, to destroy them. To destroy them. So if we're going to interpret this symbolically... Jesus is saying, you got to destroy me. Okay? you got to conquer me in battle. you got to kill me. Okay? Until you kill me, uh, or in killing me, you will have life, or something like that. Okay? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Similarly in Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel chapter 39. It's the same thing. Ezekiel chapter 39. Actually, 
I'm way over time, so I'll take questions. But no, I don't have a question. Just oh. a quick comment. All right. um, I just finished uh, Pope's book on Jesus of Nazareth, yeah. and there's really a lovely, lovely section on the images that are used in St. John and how he ties everything into the feast calendar of the Jews to try to help them understand, reach us back to their traditions of the Old Testament, just like you were pointing out, and he's doing it in a really, really well done way. So if you if just read it. If it's a small enough section, maybe we could copy it off for people. I don't know if it's small enough or not, but no, it's, it's too big. Small. Okay, what's well, a new book? You guys can get it. Also, I got a whole stack of church father quotes oh, on, the, on the Eucharist right back there. And I never did my announcements. There, there they are. So I'm not too small about All right? <laughs> We don't need questions. If you guys have questions, you do. All right. Wait, hold on. Let's just let everybody leave it easily because 9.35 is crazy. Get out of here. Anybody want to stay up late can stay up late with us. No, no, we're done with that. You want to conclude? For, all, right, we'll, all right, here we go. Let's, let's pray here at the end. Lord, be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be, the world of that St. John the Evangelist, pray for us. And the Father said, Peter, it's been a Jusanti.